following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. If you have your Bibles tonight, open up to Galatians chapter 3 if you're not there already. Kind of catch a transition from chapter 3 to chapter 4. Uh, but basically, Paul is uh, continuing um, his explanation of the purpose of the law versus where we stand in the grace of God. So the entire book of Galatians is basically geared in that direction, as I described last week, uh, similar to a tree. Paul is working on the roots, the foundation. Uh, he, he's chopping away at what is beneath the surface uh, last week he really, really emphasized uh, and used an analogy, a metaphor to describe what the law was. He used the term, the law was a tutor for us for a while, a pedagogue, uh, as it was referred to back in those days. Someone who was hired to uh, teach and train and supervise a child as they are growing up and being educated, making that transition from a learning pupil to a masterful adult and someone who has learned in a skill or a trade. Uh, Paul begins the book of Galatians defending his apostleship because he knows that the false teachers and the Judaizers are all speaking out against him. Uh, he then begins preaching and explaining the true gospel to the churches in the Galatia area. Uh, more than one church, more than likely he's dealing with here. So he wants to make sure that they're sound on their theology. He wants to make sure that they're sound on their doctrine. And so he's helping them make this transition from a new church, a young church, uh, maybe an unstable church to a very well-established church that is able to go out and evangelize on their own and maintain a proper direction uh, with everyone that they teach in their congregation. So as we began the introduction to this book, I, I was telling you that there are several things throughout the book of Galatians that you will glean from to be able to apply to your own apologetic effort and evangelism effort in your own personal life. Uh, I, I see a lot of things here in this community and the people that we deal with, the groups that we deal with that we can use. And there are several things in this passage tonight that will most definitely uh, benefit us in that area. Transitions. He's transitioning from uh, the basics of the Christian faith, what the law means, how it applies to a believer's life, and then he's transitioning to grace. How does grace uh, supersede that and, and maybe trump that in some areas? He's not saying that the law is neglected, that the law is useless. He says it has a purpose. Uh, and it is definitely something we should adhere to, but it is not what we are saved for. We are saved by grace and grace alone. So he makes this transition throughout the whole book, uh, making references back to the law as he transitions this church to the uh, grace mindset. I began thinking about uh, transitioning several different things uh, this afternoon. Uh, I began thinking about the relationship with Marcy and I and our transition throughout the years. Uh, our love has grown stronger. Our relationship has grown stronger. Uh, but there are definitely things that we notice have transitioned, maybe a role reversal of some sorts, 
Uh, we got in the truck a while ago. I said, man, it's a little chilly out here tonight. She said, I'm about to blow a fuse. <laughs> Me and you know exactly what I'm talking about. I had the heater turned on. I had the seat warmer on. She said, I don't need all those. I'm hot. <laughs> Used to it was the other way around. I was the one that was hot. I always wanted the air conditioner on, the thermostat dialed down, and now they're about to freeze me out of the house. I'm always the one with the blanket on, uh, dressing up warm. Transitions like that we go through in our relationships, uh, not only as husband and wife. I, I noticed some transitions and role reversals between me and my mom. Uh, being concerned about her health and her care, where she's at, what she's doing. If she doesn't answer the phone right away, I get upset. Where's she at? What's she doing? Why doesn't she want to talk to me? Is she in trouble? Is she hurt? Is she stranded on the side of the road somewhere? We've made a role reversal from what it was in my teenage years with her as the parent and the caretaker and the one always concerned about my well-being. We have kind of made a role reversal there as well. Mom, are you eating right? Are you taking care of yourself? Do you have all the doors locked? <laughs> I just see the, this transition taking place and this role reversal taking place. And so we see that in many, many different applications uh, throughout our lives and throughout our relationships. So here's the thing that I want you to, to, to just keep in mind throughout this passage tonight. The Apostle Paul is making the transition of what it means to live for God out of obligation towards what it means to live for God as your heavenly father. That's a big transition for some people. Some people get stuck in, in religious uh, obligations. They don't understand that I need to live for God because I love him. I don't need to live for God because I'm afraid of what I should and should not do and how it might affect my relationship with him. But at the end of this passage, Paul uses a word that's only found three times in the New Testament. Here in Galatians, in the book of Romans, Paul refers to God as Abba, Father. And in the book of Mark, when Jesus prays his prayer in the book of, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he calls God his Abba, Father. And that's the only time you see him referring to him as that. So Paul is making this transition between, uh, a, a God who is, uh, ruling with a iron fist over your life to a loving heavenly father. The, the word Abba is, is the greatest intimate term that a child can use for their father in this culture. And basically they're calling him daddy, daddy. And that's the transition that Paul is making here in this passage. He's talking about a son who is uh basically in the form of a slave and that son becoming an heir and getting everything that the father has to offer. So let's begin in verse 26, uh, four different points. We're going to look at one God, one baptism, one savior, and one father. And there's some things that you need to be very cautious of as you're looking through this. And I think this is a great place to refer someone to as you're explaining to them um, how we can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Rather than just being a religion, it needs to be a relationship. And this is a great place to bring someone who thinks that it's all about religious duties rather than having a relationship with God. 
Verse 26, he says this, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. One God, you are all sons of one God. In your apologetic and evangelistic efforts, it is undeniable that at some point in time, you will encounter someone who has a loose and skewed understanding of the God that you are referring to. There's a lot of people you'll talk to. Oh yeah, I know God. I I talk to God every day, but is it the same God that you are referring to? Is it the God of the Bible? Is it Jehovah God? Is it Yahweh? See, he's not the big man upstairs. <laughs> he, he's not my best bud. His last name is not a curse word. He's not some magical genie in a bottle that you only talk to when you need something. He's not one of many gods. He is the almighty creator and maker of the universe. He is a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he is only accessible through his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And that's what the point that the apostle Paul is making right here. There's only one God. He said, we're all sons of God. If you come through him by faith through Jesus Christ. And that's the point that the apostle Paul is saying here. He says, if you don't come to God through Jesus Christ, you're not talking about the same God that I'm talking about. Commandment number one, what is it? You shall have no other gods before me. You've got to get that established first and foremost. We're, we are talking about the God of the Bible. We're talking about Jehovah God. There are no other gods besides him. Same one uh, that, that Moses wrote about in Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through five. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And anytime you look at that verse, you'll notice that the word Lord is in all capital letters. That is referring to Yahweh. Jesus' model prayer, he says, Our Father who art in heaven. He was very specific about the God that he was praying to. Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed is your name. So why does Paul emphasize this? Because the Israelites themselves were very, very guilty of attempting to form a religious syncretism. They were trying to pull up all of these pagan gods and make one God out of it. And you see that a lot in our world still today. You see a lot of people picking and choosing from different religions, different beliefs, trying to make it all fit into one mold that they call God. That's not the case. That's not the God that we serve. That is why God was attempting to get the Israelites set apart from all the other nations, all the other religions, and all the other false gods that were being served in that area. And they struggled with this throughout their history. Now, the church at Galatia was in danger of the very same thing with the Judaizers and the teachers that were around in their area at the time that Paul wrote this letter. And so why would I mention that also here? I'm fixing to give you a really good example of why I want to mention 
you need to be talking about the same God, the God of the Bible, when you are talking to someone about your religion and about your faith and what you believe in. Back in January of 2021, if you remember, the opening congressional prayer by Representative Emmanuel Cleaver. Do you remember that? You remember what he said? When he prayed his prayer, he said, we ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, little lowercase God, Brahma. And God's known by many names, by many different faiths. And when he concluded the prayer, he said, amen and a woman. That's not some foreign country that I'm talking about here. This is right here in the United States of America, one nation under God, established for Christian beliefs and Christian faiths, freedoms to serve the God that we choose. And I'm all about America becoming a melting pot. But whenever someone stands up and says that in the Congress of the United States of America, what they are trying to do is they are trying to push the God that we serve completely out of our country and our beliefs. So the Apostle Paul is making a statement here that applies to the original readers. Uh, There's neither Jew nor Greek. He moves on in verse 27. He says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's being very specific about what he's writing here. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So the Apostle Paul is making a statement that applies to the original readers. There's neither Jew nor Greek. He's saying if you are all sons of God through Christ Jesus, There is no difference between a Jew and a Greek. You're not a Jew anymore. You're not a Greek anymore. You don't have all these other little gods floating around that you serve. You are serving the one true God. And the only way to get through him is through his son, Jesus Christ. And so to bring that into a more modern context, when he says there is neither Jew nor Greek, you might as well say that there's neither Baptist nor Pentecostal. You might as well say that there's neither Catholic nor Lutheran. He's saying there is no denomination. There is no differentiation between the two of you. If you come to God through Jesus Christ, you're all one. You're neither slave nor free. You're neither Jew nor Greek. And so either you're a child of God, is what he's saying, or you're a slave to sin. Either you're still under the law and you're a servant to the law, or you have been set free by grace, you're no longer Jew nor Greek, you are a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. You serve the one true God. There's a little song that we used to sing in Sunday school. I keep bringing these little songs up, but man, they got some rich stuff in them. And this song, this is not how it was sung. We never did sing, I am a B, I am a B-A, I am a B-A-P-T-I-S-T. I had to practice that for a while. How did that song go? I am a C, I am a C-H, I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N. I'm not a Baptist. I'm not a Pentecostal. 
I'm not a denomination. I am a Christian. I am a follower of Christ. I have Jesus Christ living inside of me. And I am a Christian long before I am anything else. I agree with all, everything that the Baptist denomination teaches and practices, their doctrine, the Baptist faith and message 2000. I'll preach on that very same thing. But in my heart, when you peel me open, you're not going to see a Baptist. You're going to see a Christian. You're going to see a child of God and a follower of Jesus Christ. And I think that when you start talking to people, especially in this area, I see it a lot in this area. That is one thing you need to make sure of right now. Are we talking about the same God? Are we talking about a religion or are we talking about a relationship? Do you come to the Father through Jesus Christ, his Son? Because according to the Scriptures and according to what you see in this passage right here, that is the only way, that is the only God that we're talking about. And that is the only thing that makes you a child of God. You're going to see this progression and this transition here in just a minute. Folks, just be sure, be certain that, that you and whoever you are dealing with are on the same page as to the God you are referring to and who he is to you in specific. If you don't know him as your heavenly father, there's no way in the world you're going to be able to explain it to someone else how they can have a relationship with him as their heavenly father either. So not only is there just one God, there's also one baptism. Backing up in verse 27, he actually mentions baptism. He says, for as many as you were baptized. So he's talking to a very specific group here. He's not talking about Jews, not talking about Greeks. He says, if you have been baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ, you have put on Christ. That word baptism, uh, if you look at some of the original meanings, one of the meanings it, it, it describes is it's taking an old piece of cloth and it's dipping it into a vat of dye to completely change the color of it. So you have been completely changed. Your identity of who you were before, once you became a Christian, once you became a follower, you have got Jesus Christ all over you and he has completely changed everything about you. And he says that here, as many as you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. I'm not going to go much further into that. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. And I think I've preached on baptism quite a bit since I've been here. But the Apostle Paul is specific, uh, specifically talking to a certain group here. And he says, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, you're not going to understand what I'm saying here. Because if you're baptized into Christ, you have one God, one baptism, and then he goes into one Savior. Verses 1 through 5 in chapter 4. He says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave. Though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. Here's your transition here. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. 
So he makes this transition from a son and a slave into an adopted son who legally and rightfully inherits everything that the Father has to offer him. What did Jesus Christ do for us? You, you don't see a whole lot about Christmas in the book of Galatians, but you do see it right here in verses 4 and verse 5. He said, when the fullness of time had come, that's exactly what he's talking about. He's saying that when Jesus Christ was born, it was ripe. It was perfect. The way the Romans had everything, the Roman roads that were going out to travel from one place to another, the Greek language, it was common. It was used all throughout the land. The Apostle Paul says at just the right time, God sent his son to be able to take the gospel and spread it out as fast as possible. At just the right time in our time frame in history, when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth the Savior of the world. What did Jesus do for us? He, he, he took us away from a human son and a slave and he transitioned us into an adopted son, a joint heir with Jesus Christ to be able to rightfully inherit everything that our heavenly father has to offer us. What is Paul talking about here and how do we apply it to our apologetics? So there's either one or two things that Paul is talking about specifically. In those days, the son, until he came of age, was no better off than a slave. When he came of age, he took on a whole different set of privileges. As long as he is a child, the apostle Paul is saying here, that as long as he is a child, that there comes a time when you fully appreciate the privileges you have as a joint heir and co-heir with Jesus. And it wasn't until verse 4 says the fullness of time came that the appointed time when Jesus came that we could have those privileges. Moses brought the law to point out our sins and he kept us under bondage. But Jesus came to save us from our sin and bring us out of bondage into sonship. He said, even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But there's that sanctified conjunction once again. He said, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. That's when we made the huge transition from a son that was under bondage of the law, under the bondage of religion, into a relationship with God as our heavenly father. That's what our Savior has done for us. That's one thing that the Apostle Paul could have been referring to there. The second thing he could have been referring to is that in those days when a man had no children, but he owned a slave, he could then appoint his slave as an heir to everything that he had. They would then cease in being a slave and become an adopted son and an heir to everything that that master had. However, the one thing that Paul was most likely thinking of is what it means to really understand having God as your heavenly father. He's saying it's not about a religion. It's not about a set of rules. It's not about regulations. It's all about your relationship to God as your heavenly father. 
And that's when it goes into verses 6 and 7. One God, one baptism, one Savior, and one Father. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. One Father. In your apologetics and your evangelistic effort, you must have a full understanding and appreciation of God as your Father. So I want you to think back for just a moment. Uh, you may have to go back just a few years. You may have to go back several decades. But, but think back to the time when you were truly converted, that point in time where you nailed down, you got a day, you got a time, you got a place. This is when I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ became my personal Lord and Savior. Think back to that time for just a moment. At that time, did you fully understand everything that happened at that moment of your conversion? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> I've had two systematic theology classes. I have had uh, classes on Christian doctrine. I've got books and books upon books in my library. And every time I look through those books, I still learn something new every time I study one of them. I didn't know a thing in the world about propitiation when I got saved. I didn't know anything about substitutionary atonement. I didn't know anything about justification. All I knew was I was a sinner. I was dying. I was going to hell and I needed Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And that's probably how you were as well. Think about how much you have transitioned from that time. You probably didn't even know John 3.16 at the time you got saved. <laughs> now hopefully you can memorize it. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5, 8, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He never did ask you to understand everything before you decide to become a follower of the Jesus Christ. All you need to understand is that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And I had a Savior that died for my sins. And now because he has died for my sins, I'm no longer a slave to sin, but I am a son. Join heirs with Christ through the blood of Jesus Christ. It wasn't until much, much later in your walk with the Lord that the Holy Spirit illuminated your mind. You understood the scriptures and you realize just how bad of a sinner you actually were when you got saved and how good God was to reach down and save you when he did. It wasn't until you moved from a spiritual infant to a mature believer that you began putting all of the pieces together. And then, and only then, did you understand all that you possessed as a child of God? Now in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, everything you've been through, everything you've learned, 
all of the pieces that God has allowed you to put back together, now you love him more and more than you ever have before. And like Paul says in verse 6, now you can cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, I fully understand and appreciate everything that you have allowed me to inherit that I never did deserve in the first place. You have completely changed your identity as you have matured, and you are still maturing more and more and more, hopefully every day. Abba, Father, used only three times in the entire New Testament, twice by the Apostle Paul, who was converted uh, as an apostle out of due time, he said, and then once by the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. In his most intense and intimate prayer that he ever prayed, he cried out, Abba, Father, if there's any way that we could do this differently, let's do it. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And hopefully now, years later, your love for the Father has grown more and more and more than it ever has before. There's an old song that we used to sing. It's been a long time since I've heard it, but every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus, I love him more and more. Every day he grows a little dearer. Every day he gets a little nearer. Every day this old low gets lighter. And every day my pathway brighter. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. And the more you learn about him, the more learn, you learn about what he has done for you, the more you cry out, Abba, Father, I don't deserve what you've given to me. And I thank you for that I'm no longer a slave, but I am now a child of the king. I've got royal blood running through my veins. I'm joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I've made the transition from a slave and a child to a son of God. Warren Wiersbe, as he writes in one of his books, he makes a contrast between the son and the slave in this way. He says, first of all, the son has the same nature as the father. I would have to think that you don't instantly get the same nature. I think it grows. I think you mature. I think the more you learn and the more you want to grow closer to the Lord, those natures, the same as the father, just continue to grow and grow and grow as you mature. Number two, he says this. He says, the son has a father, but the servant has a master. Are you working for the Lord out of obligation or are you working out for the Lord just because you simply love him and you want to do what pleases him? Which brings me to the third thing that Warren Wiersbe writes. He says, the son obeys out of love, but the servant obeys out of fear. The fourth thing he writes is this, is that the son has a future, but the servant has no future. 
And the last thing he writes is this. He says, the sonship carries within that relationship heirship. All that belongs to the father belongs to the son. And all that belongs to the son belongs to the Christian. The son he was talking about there was a capital S-O-N, Jesus Christ. So tonight, let me ask you this. Are you serving out of obligation? Or are you serving out of love? Are you trying to earn God's favor? Or do you understand your rights as an heir? This goes all the way back to Galatians chapter 2, 21 that Brother Steve Sperling got to preach on. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So the area that we live in, I thought about this a lot today as I, as I thought about God being our heavenly father, as I thought about not being a religion but a relationship. I thought about the area we live in and the age that we live in right now. The area we live in and the age we live in, they are both very, very ripe for evangelism. There are many, many people out there who are living with a false sense of hope. I see it several times a week, people coming through for help. I get to sit down and I get to counsel with them and I just see, man, you have got a very bad understanding of what a relationship with the Lord is supposed to be like. This is what the Apostle Paul is protecting the Galatian churches from. It's having a false sense of hope. He wants them to understand it's not a religion, but it is all about a relationship with God, the one true God, as your loving Heavenly Father, and Him wanting to bless you with everything that he has to offer. So here's what I wanted to close out by saying tonight, is that if we are going to be effective in our ability to win souls for Christ, we must first be firmly established in our own understanding of our Abba Father. I want you to take that term, Abba Father, tonight, and I want you to really, really ponder on it. Maybe over the next few days. What is your understanding of God as your Abba Father? And do you understand all the privileges that we have of personally knowing him and having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? I love what Max Licato has to say about this particular topic. He says this, he says, you see, it's one thing to accept him as Lord. It's another to recognize him as Savior. But it's another matter entirely to accept him as Father. Where do you stand tonight? Are you operating under religious obligations? Or are you living your life through a relationship with God as your heavenly father, through the Lord Jesus Christ.
Every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. I'm going to ask Nancy to come up and give us a hymn of invitation. Don't always do that on a Sunday night, but I think after a message like that, maybe you need some time to think, some time to respond. I'll be here in the front if you need someone to pray with. But in your mind right now, when is the last time you really cried out to God as your Abba Father? Not because you wanted something, not because you needed something. You just simply wanted to climb up in his lap and have him put his arms around you and just hear him say exactly how much he loves you. You see, that's what happens, that's what should happen every time we open up his word. We should be praying, God, show me through your word the depth of your love for me. The psalmist wrote it like this, as deep calls out to deep, Lord, I, I want to explore the deep things of your love. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.